The book of Jonah, chapter 1. And we made it through the first three verses last week, but we'll finish um, most of chapter 1 today. We'll begin in verse 4, but for context, let's begin reading with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it is sufficient. It is inerrant, infallible. It is perfect. I pray that You would give us eyes to see it. Minds to understand, hearts to receive Your truth. 
I pray that you would be honored in everything that happens here today. In Jesus' name, amen. When we left Jonah last time, he was on the run. God had commanded him to go to Nineveh, that great and wicked city, and cry out against it, to preach a message of judgment of God on the people of Nineveh because of their sin. And Jonah, he just he got up and did it, right? He said, thank you, Lord, for calling me to do this great task. No, uh, in fact, he didn't. He didn't like the idea of going to Nineveh very much. So he decided to make a run for it. He went down to Joppa, bought a boat ticket, headed as far as he could in the opposite direction. Jonah thought that he could run from the presence of the Lord. He thought he could get away from the people of God who recognized his position as a prophet. He thought he could run away from the will of God, God's calling on his life. He thought he could get away and get out of doing exactly what God had called him to do. But he quickly, as we read today, found himself in a storm. Who is the main character in the book of Jonah? Do you remember? Is it the fish? Is it the worm? The Ninevites? The sailors? Is it Jonah? No, none of those are the main character. The main character in the book of Jonah is God, the Lord. So, to show Jonah and us the foolishness of running... And thinking that we could ever escape God's presence, God gives a demonstration of His sovereignty. Of His complete control over the universe. His rule over all creation. How does He do that? In this chapter, I see four ways that God demonstrates His sovereignty. And we'll spend time looking at three of them. The first way that I see God has demonstrated His sovereignty is found in verse 4. The Lord sent out a great wind. The storm that came upon Jonah, upon these sailors and their ship, was not some fluke wind. Just out of the blue storm that happened by chance. It didn't come about by chance, but verse 4 says that the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. Some of your translations may say the Lord hurled a great wind, and that's really more accurate. My brother isn't here, so I can pick on him. He won't watch this sermon. He's the athletic son. I, well, I'm not. <laughs> and he loved baseball. And at times in our childhood, he breathed baseball. He's a lefty, so he wanted to be a pitcher. And he did. He did well for a while. He played through high school and a little in college and, and really enjoyed it. But early on, the most important thing to him was to be able to throw the ball hard and fast. It didn't matter where it went. So when we got into high school and, and my dad would catch for him some in the backyard, he asked me if I would stand in as a batter. He, he didn't want to just pitch to a catcher. He wanted somebody to, to be there. He wanted to get used to throwing with a batter in the box. So I said, okay, I'll just stand here and hold my bat. I did it once. And only once because I ended up with a purple thigh. A big old knot with perfect seams, the imprint of a baseball right in my leg. Did it once and he threw it hard. He hurled it. He wasn't just satisfied to pitch. He wanted to hurl the ball. He wanted it to be fast. That's what God did, except He did it with perfect accuracy. 
It's as if God picked up a storm, picked up a great wind, and hurled it at Jonah's ship. It was such a rough storm that the text says the ship was about to be broken up. That's an idiomatic expression, but the the Hebrew text uses words that sort of personify the ship, as if the ship had a mind of its own. It was thinking about, it was seriously considering breaking apart. That's how bad the storm was. God sovereignly sent a storm, and it was so rough that the whole ship could have just come apart. So how did the sailors react? Well, they panicked. Verse 5 says, The mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. These men were probably Phoenicians, experienced sailors. And despite all their experience and all the storms that they would weathered before, this storm terrified them. So much so that they started throwing cargo overboard. Whatever they could find to lighten the load of the ship, they tossed it. Now that meant that they wouldn't get a paycheck when they got home. They're getting paid to haul this stuff. In fact, they probably would be in debt. I doubt they had insurance. But to them, it was better to go home and be in debt than to be dead and never make it home. And all the while, as they're throwing things out of the ship, they're crying out to every god they can think of. We don't know which God sent this storm. Obviously, somebody is really mad at somebody on this ship. So just pray to every God you can think of. And maybe, just maybe, one of them will hear us and be able to do something about it. Their only hope is in their own efforts to lighten the load of the ship. And in the wishful possibility that one of their gods might hear them and might be able to save them. But where's Jonah in all this? Verse 5 says that he was down in the boat, fast asleep. There's a storm like these seasoned sailors have never seen, and Jonah's snoring. Who sleeps through something like that? And that's the part where some of you men are pulling your wife's elbows out of your ribs right now, right? We know who can sleep like that. People deal with stress in different ways, right? Some drink, some smoke, tobacco, or something stronger. Some people eat, some people sleep. I don't drink and I don't smoke. Don't get me wrong, I like to eat, but honestly, when I get stressed, if I'm having to deal with a really hard situation, I just want to go home and get in the bed. It's just the way I'm built. I can relate to Jonah. Jonah has literally left behind his entire life. He's left behind his nation. He's willfully disobeying God. And after the stresses of this exhausting day, Jonah is just in the bottom of the ship through this massive storm, snoring away. I imagine the captain on deck Guys, this isn't working. Are there, are there any other gods that we can pray to? Where's that guy from, that we picked up in Joppa? I wonder what God he prays to. Verse 6 says, So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, perhaps your God, 
will hear us so that we may not perish. They don't know Jonah. They don't know his God. He's just another God in the pantheon of gods. I'm convinced that God loves irony because there's a lot of irony in this chapter. These guys don't know each other. And this pagan, idol-worshipping Phoenician sailor is the one who's having to tell the prophet of the one true God to pray. It's embarrassing, isn't it, when God's people aren't acting like God's people and unbelievers call us out on it? This captain didn't know Jonah or why he was there. Jonah was probably thinking, of all things for him to ask me to do, God and I aren't exactly on speaking terms right now. The words probably rang in Jonah's ears because they're the same words that God had already spoken to him. The words in verse 2, cry out, and the words call on in verse 6 are the same word in Hebrew. God told, Nona, God told Jonah to cry out against Nineveh because they were under God's judgment. Now a pagan sailor is telling Jonah to cry out because he's the one under God's judgment. God, through this storm, is beginning the process of getting Jonah's attention. He sent a storm to demonstrate His sovereign rule over all creation. And Jonah cannot escape His presence. That's one way God demonstrates His sovereignty. He sent a storm. Number two, the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 7 says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. That phrase, cast lots, is sort of generic. We think about rolling the dice. That's one way you can cast lots. They could have drawn straws. They probably used colored stones. They'd reach down into a bag and whoever pulled out the one stone that was a different color than all the rest... They believed that this was how they could receive revelation from their gods. That their God would show His will by making sure that the right person drew the right stone. Now it's interesting that there are even instances in Israel's history that they did this. And God did reveal His will to them in this way. They used that method in dividing up the land that Joshua had led them to conquer. In the New Testament, when the disciples were deciding on who would uh, replace Judas after he had betrayed Jesus, they drew lots, cast lots, and chose Matthias to replace Judas. Thank God we don't have to roll the dice to know God's will. God has already revealed His will to us. How? We have the Bible, we have God's Word. We have God's revealed will. Everything that we need for life and godliness is in His Word. We don't have to cast lots to know what God wants us to do. Now, there are some decisions you can make like that if you want. Next time you get in the car and you and your spouse can't decide where to go eat, draw straws. Pick a stone out of a bag. Flip a coin. You can do that if you want. The Bible doesn't tell you where to eat supper. But here's where God's sovereignty is displayed. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. 
The point is this, even the insignificant things that we choose, even the things that we see as happening by chance, everything happens as it is ordained by God. I won't apologize for that statement. Everything that happens, happens as it is ordained by God. God does not cause evil. Don't go down that road. But He does ordain it. It doesn't originate with Him, but it could not happen if He did not allow it. And He uses everything for His own glory. Everything that happens, happens because God has ordained it to happen. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So verse uh, 6 says there again, or excuse me, verse 7, So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Jonah probably remembered that Old Testament verse, Be sure your sin will find you out. Of all the men on the ship, God sovereignly ordained that the lot should fall on Jonah and that he would have to give an answer for himself. But the sailors don't even realize that he's done something wrong at first. They just think he might have the answers that they need. Verse 8 says, Then the sailors said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? The gods have revealed their will through casting of lots. Maybe Jonah has the answers we need. They don't think it's him. The sea is still raging and getting worse, so they just start firing off these rapid questions. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? Jonah answered in verse 9, he said, I am a Hebrew. Well, that's true. Even if he did say it in a condescending tone. And I fear the Lord. That's not true. The word fear is the kind of fear that leads to worship, reverence, respect, obedience. Jonah does not fear the Lord. It may have been true at one time, but it's not true right now. He does tell them the truth about God. That He is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah's orthodox in what he believes. He's telling the sailors the truth about God, but he's a hypocrite. According to verse 10, Jonah had also told them that he was running from God. So the Bible says, The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? Now they're not only afraid because of the storm, but they're also afraid because they know the God whom Jonah has offended. Jonah, you've messed up and we're going down with you. Why did you do this? You angered the God who you say made the sea and you thought it was a good idea to go out on the sea with us? In verse 11, the storm is getting worse. They need to know what to do. So Jonah says in verse 12, He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. You might be tempted to think, Oh, look at that. Jonah does have a heart. He's willing to sacrifice himself to be thrown into the sea to save the sailors. 
hate to tell you that I don't think that's it at all. Do you think that God sent this storm on Jonah and his ship, brought him to that point where he had to confess who he was and what he had done, all because God wanted Jonah to be thrown overboard? Do you think that's what God wanted, what God intended for Jonah just to be thrown into the sea and that's the end of the story? I don't think that at all. God is pursuing Jonah. He's disciplining Jonah because He wants Jonah to repent and obey. If Jonah's heart had been in the right place, he should have said, You know what, guys? This is happening because I disobeyed God. I messed up. I need you to take me back to Joppa so I can go preach to Nineveh. That's what I need to do. I was wrong. I'm sorry I brought you into this mess. But God, He's got my attention now and I need to go obey Him. That would have been a good answer from Jonah. But no, Jonah isn't being selfless. He's caught in his sin, and he would rather be thrown to his death in the ocean than to go and preach to those Ninevites. There's another bit of irony in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. That word translated road hard is the same as when Ezekiel uh, dug through a wall. The sea was so rough that their oars in the water were like shovels against hard clay. They couldn't make any headway because the storm was getting so much worse all the time. The irony is this, Jonah cares nothing about the Gentile pagans in Nineveh being saved. Yet these Gentile pagan sailors do everything they can to save Jonah. He's given them their solution. Throw me in the ocean. And they don't do it. They try to row him back to land. Even though he would rather die than to care. I think I might have said, Okay, Jonah, your wish is my command. And into the sea he went. But these sailors tried to find another way first. Jonah refused to repent. The storm kept getting worse. So the sailors finally decided that they needed to throw Jonah into the sea. But what may be surprising, they prayed first. And they didn't pray to all the idols that they had prayed to earlier. But verse 14 says, Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. That's a good prayer. They recognized God's sovereignty over the storm and the casting of lots. And verse 15 says, So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. God demonstrated His sovereignty in sending the wind. He demonstrated His sovereignty in causing the lot to fall on Jonah. And third, He demonstrated His sovereignty when the men feared the Lord. Verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows 
a lot of times people make promises to God when they're in the middle of a storm, right? A trial of life. Oh God, if you'll bring me through this, I promise I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll love you. You'll be the God of my life. I'll follow you all my days. Just get me through this. And then after the storm has passed, the problems are resolved. They forget all about those promises they made to God. He's only there for them to call on and make empty promises to when life gets hard. But it's not like that with these sailors. Verse 16 happens after the storm. They didn't make any promises while the sea was raging, but after they saw the power and the sovereignty of God displayed in both hurling the storm at them and causing it to cease, which may have been a greater miracle than sending the storm in the first place. They feared the Lord exceedingly. That's the same word Jonah used in verse 9. That fear that leads to worship, reverence, and obedience. A fear of God that comes from faith. Jonah's claim to faith in God was hypocrisy because he was really running from God. But the faith of these sailors led to worship and service. The verse says that they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, something that would have been rather costly considering they just tossed most of their cargo overboard. The Bible says they took vows. They came to believe in the one true God and they committed themselves to them to Him. And here's God's use of irony yet again. Jonah is running from God because he didn't want God to save the pagan Gentiles in Nineveh. But even in Jonah's running, God saved pagan Gentile sailors. There's a fourth way in which God demonstrated His sovereignty in this chapter. Verse 17 says, The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. There's Jonah treading water. The ship from which he's just been cast is turning away. He's still in shock from all that's just happened. And suddenly, darkness. Come back next week and we'll talk more about that. What can we learn from Jonah in this chapter? Here's some lessons I think we can draw. Number one, sometimes storms are God's way of pursuing His wayward people. Storms in your life are not always because of sin. We talked about that when we were in John chapter 9 with the man who was born blind, right? The disciples saw him sitting on the side of the road. He's blind. They say, Lord, which one sinned? This man or his parents that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the glory of God might be revealed in him. Sometimes God allows problems to arise in our lives simply so he can use it to declare his glory both to us as we experience it and to the world as they watch us experience it. For Christians, every storm we face is God's way of making us more like Jesus. But, sometimes storms are a result of sin. And God sends them as a way to draw His people back to Himself.
If you are going through a storm, it isn't necessarily because of sin, but it very well could be. Use it as an opportunity to examine yourself with the Word of God, through prayer, by the Holy Spirit within you. If there is sin in your life, don't abandon ship like Jonah. Don't try to get further away. Don't try to get out of the light. Repent. Turn back to God and thank Him for the storm that He used to bring it to your attention. A second lesson I think we can learn, disobedience to God will always affect others. When we sin, it's easy to think that we're not hurting anyone but ourselves, right? It's my body. No one knows I'm doing it. I don't care what people think. Nobody even knows. No one will ever know. Whatever you're telling yourself to justify your sin, know this, sin always affects other people. Jonah was indifferent to the sailors. He's in his cabin asleep. They're on deck, terrified, and tossing their cargo. His sin prevented these men from earning the wage that they would have when they got back home. They might not have been able to provide everything their families needed. They might have died on the sea. But Jonah didn't care. He was indifferent. Church, sin and indifference does not just hurt the church. There's a world that is lost and dying, and they need us to be doing our job. Every time you shrink back from sharing the gospel, you put someone at risk of spending eternity in hell. When you neglect the opportunity to, to disciple a younger Christian, you're de both depriving them of their own spiritual growth and whoever they might have the opportunity to disciple later. We need to be doing the work God's called us to do. Those are just the things we neglect. How much more will our outright acts of sin harm those around us? Sin will hurt your family, your friends, your church, and even people that you don't know are watching. Third lesson, unbelievers are not blind to the hypocrisy in God's people. The sailors heard Jonah say that he feared God. But they also heard him say that he was running from God. And they didn't just let that go. They asked him, why have you done this? Jonah's actions didn't line up with what he said he believed. Friends, when, we do, when what we do doesn't reflect what we believe, the world notices. Well-known atheists have made the argument, and it's a good argument, that if Christians really believed that there's a God really believed that He will judge everyone when they die, really believed that sinners go to hell, you would not be able to stop Christians from sharing the gospel. And that's true. Why don't you tell your unbelieving friend that he or she is a sinner? That they will one day be judged by God for their sin and that Jesus died to save them from it? 
There may be some Christians who really want to bring it up, but are just terrified that you won't know what to say. But most professing Christians won't speak up because you're not really convinced that they're in any real danger. If you really do believe what the Bible says, one of the cruelest things you can ever do is withhold the truth from your friends, your family, and your neighbors. The world sees right through our hypocrisy. A fourth lesson. This will be the last one. Even if you've been offended or harmed by the hypocrisy of a Christian, God is still willing and able to save. Maybe there's someone here, we're watching or listening, who's been hurt by a hypocritical professing Christian. Maybe a whole church of them. Maybe they believed the right stuff, but the way that they acted didn't line up with what they said they believed, and you were hurt. That happens. If anyone had a right to be angry with one of God's people, it would have been these sailors, right? They could have died, all because Jonah ran from God. But even though Jonah didn't do what was right on his part, God still used it to save sailors. Even if you've been hurt by a Christian or a church, that doesn't remove you from the danger of God's judgment. Just like the rest of us, you're a sinner who will one day stand before God and be judged for your sin. There's only one perfect person. There's only one person who's never shown any shadow of hypocrisy. And that was Jesus Christ. Knowing that you were in danger of judgment because of your sin, He, being sinless, died to take your place. He was judged in your behalf, when He died on the cross, and now if you will repent of your sins and put your trust in Him alone, He will forgive your sins, He will give you everlasting life, He will make you a new creation, a new person. He will save you. Church, let's be about the business of preaching that message. Let's be faithful to believe the truth of God's Word. And to do all that He commands. Stand with me as we pray. God, we are thankful that You are faithful. Because we are not. We all at some time, in fact, we all quite frequently live hypocritically. We don't always, at all times, and in all places, live like we believe Your Word. We don't always do what You've commanded us to do. God, I pray that You would take broken sinners like us and use us anyway. Make us faithful. Give us boldness to be obedient as Your people to Your Word that others may come to know You. 
I pray that if someone is here or listening who has been hurt by unfaithful Christians, that you would get them past that to see their real need, that they still need to be saved. That hurt, as bad as it may be, does not exempt them from the real danger. And that is standing before a holy God in an unholy condition. And I pray that sinners would be saved.